You're listening to WNHHLP, 103.5 FM New Haven, streaming live at www.newhavenindependent.org and broadcasting live from our offices on Elm Street. This is another episode of Artbeat with Dan Fitzmorris. Good afternoon and welcome to Artbeat, an exploration into the visual landscape of Greater New Haven. Each episode airs live every other Wednesday at 103.5 FM and streaming at newhavenindependent.org. So I hope you'll share this later, especially with anyone who's interested in gardening and the outdoors at this time of year in a visual way. I'm Daniel Fitzmorris from Creative Arts Workshop here with Becca Sturgis, who's a principal at Reed Hildebrand. Welcome. Thank you. Very happy to be here today. And... Um, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, your background, where you're, where you're from, what's your two-sentence bio? Uh, so I am a landscape architect, and I grew up in New Jersey and a little bit in Massachusetts. And I came to landscape architecture after having a kind of initial interest in arts, uh, English, uh, my first, uh, my first profession was as a English teacher oh. and then I began a PhD actually uh, looking at the Victorian novel and with a particular focus actually on flooding and the sort of drama of flooding in the uh, Victorian novel and somewhat circuitously I found myself drawn to landscape architecture. I'd been encouraged to become an architect when I was in college, and I wasn't moved by that as a profession because it's not dynamic. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was in my uh, mid-20s that I heard of the profession landscape architecture. And then um, I started exploring it as a profession, and I realized that's really what I should be doing. And so then I made an about face. Because you were in I, pursuit of a PhD? I was in pursuit of a PhD, yes. Like and one step away from it? or Well, I had done two, basically two years past my exams. I was okay. in the process of um, developing my dissertation subject. And there's something, I think, really um, provocative to me now that so much of the work that we're focused on as a profession and even here in this office is about water and water management and how you deal with you know, storm surges and changes in the climate, specifically as it relates to urban conditions and flooding. Uh, and so I think one of the reasons why rivers and floods were so interesting to people like Dickens and George Eliot uh, in the 19th century is that industrialization was a big change there mm -hmm. and the way it was changing how rivers worked, the jobs along the rivers, um, that intersect of economy and land mm -hmm. and the drama of people's individual lives is very interesting to me and has been, wow. I would say. And I think that's a continuity, right? And so, you would have taught that, yes, but now you do yes. that. Yes, and I, in fact, I mean, I have taught that, but right, but now I do that. So, and now, and now it's much more about kind of reclaiming the meaning of rivers for people and waterfronts for people and sort of trying to make the cities and the waterfronts work mm -hmm. with, it, with the realities of today and the mm -hmm. economy and the dramas of our own lives today. So what? there is a kind of, you know, a thread <laughs> or a meander, you could say, that weaves it all yeah, there's together. A, there's a more than dotted line yeah. between <laughs> yeah. those in 
interests. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, before we before we started, you'd mentioned, um, and and I stopped you from saying it because you're what you described in architecture terms, the princi uh, principal yeah, principle at this place. Yes. Um, so what does that mean if you're the principal at this place? So our practice was founded by Gary Hildebrandt and Doug Reed, uh, who were friends, and they both have a real interest in uh, cultural landscapes and how horticulture and organizations um, come together. Mm -hmm. And there was a competition for the Arnold Arboretum. They were going to be, they'd, I guess, done some initial work to develop a new shrub and vine collection. And where's that? That's uh, in Boston, mm -hmm. and it's part of Harvard University. Okay. And it's one of the great American arboretums. Uh, and it, it functions as a public park, mm -hmm. uh, so it's very popular, but they also have these extraordinary plants collections. So it's a great kind of founding project for us because it's all about that interface of experience, spatial configuration, city building, and plants. Mm -hmm. And when was that? So that, I feel like that was about 20 years ago. Okay. Uh, and the project was a success. One of the things that kind of marks our work is a real interest in continuity mm -hmm. and sort of generational thinking. And so the form making in that project is fairly um, forward thinking or progressive. I think it feels very familiar to people who are, you know, minimalist traditions mm -hmm. and are interested in current design thinking. But it worked with a set of materials that are really part of the New England vernacular. Mm -hmm. And so we have, we're kind of famous for working with field stone mm -hmm. and um, Working wood. with what we have. Working with what we have. <laughs> and so that sort of how you understand integrating with an existing set of conditions mm -hmm. is maybe the thing that we're most sensitive to mm -hmm. and most interested in. Mm -hmm. you know, how, how do you really make a good fit? And yet, do something that I mean in our in our most powerful projects. There's also I, I think the quality of <gasps> right, which well, is delicious, right? I mean, you seek for you seek that. So we it's not you don't want to be dull or familiar, right. but you want to be um, somehow consistent with what people know, so that they have a they have a hook into what they are now moving into. That makes a lot of sense but that therein so you you are the i mean you're not the principal of that but right, as principal then so they, you they do opened what? the office they're the founding partners and um they were the first two principals and then as we have grown uh there are now um more principals and i became a principal when i founded this office in new haven so we have a our main office our original office is maybe a better way of saying that is in Cambridge, and we opened our office here almost two years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're about 10 people now, so we've had really positive reception about having a presence here. It's been an amazing place to open an office as a landscape architecture firm because there's such a strong tradition of city planning and mm -hmm. such a strong tradition of architecture and I think visual thinking and expression mm -hmm. in New Haven. But there isn't, so Harvard 
as the first program in landscape architecture in the country. Oh, really? That's interesting. And it also has architecture and urban design and planning. And so the Graduate School of Design at Harvard uh, is a very rich place for firms to be located and sort of spin mm -hmm. off. New Haven, because of the Yale School of Architecture, is quite similar for architecture. But because they don't have those other disciplines, uh, there are not many other landscape architects. So we were already doing a lot of collaborating, and we had a lot of projects in the area. And it seemed a pretty easy move. We'd, we almost opened a practice in New York. And uh, you could say, instead, we're here. Ooh, we have to unpack that later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then do you feel, and, and you could be any number of these things, but um, you know, are you a landscaper? Are you an architect? Are you a visual artist? How yeah. do you fit some of those? Com how do you most identify that's a great question. In your practice. Um, it's a common, it's sort of a German word, right? It's a combination of so many different things. It's a combination, exactly, right? It's additive. And uh, there was, there, people argue that basically there were landscape gardeners, they were called for a long time, um, or architects, and uh, architects were hired, and often they were also engineers. Mm -hmm. right? So. We operate really at the boundary between civil engineering and architecture, urban design, and to a lesser extent, I think just sheer sculptural art. But Maya Lin, for instance, is someone who's very much known as an artist, mm -hmm. but her work fits very easily into a lens of landscape architecture. Oh, interesting. So within the field, there's some um there's fluidity. You can, yeah. yeah. There's some people who are much more into making land art, mm -hmm. let's say, uh, and then there are other people who are most interested in working on how you know, the Mississippi River operates and what right. are the design interventions along right. the Mississippi. How do you how do you think about the Mississippi River? Right. Warren Manning, who's a um, worked under Olmsted, the turn of the century, is a great landscape architect. Uh, he was completely invested in the configuration of highways across. So he did some of oh, the yeah. first drawings of interstate highways. So th there are all these different scales. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a multi-scalar profession. Yeah, and but then I mean, you were mentioned you were attracted to the arts yes. and I guess the humanities. So what's your arts background? Then unpack that end of it. Yeah, I forget think your green thumb for yeah, a second. Absolutely. But what is the um, what's the art side of I, you? I think. I'm, uh, well, so my mother would say that I was always very um, questioning. And I think one of the things that attracts me about the arts is that there are many things that you can experience and communicate and share uh, through artistic media that aren't available to us just with traditional, conventional mm -hmm. speech and mm -hmm. interactions. And within the environment that I grew up in, I think having ways of trying to understand emotional experience or things that are non-human, uh, it seemed to me that there was a lot that uh, art offers. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I think, particularly a visual artist. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I'm, I'm hyper-visual, and so that 
was a very, starting from a very young age, a very powerful way for me to express myself and come to understand things. Yeah. But the, but the, uh, I was also, when I was in college, I had thought I was going to be a painter, and I got very nervous for reasons have to do with my own circumstances about supporting myself and uh, I did all this research about the status of women artists in the US and uh, it made me even more nervous. That's challenging. (laughs) And I really wanted to live in New York City and I just... But painting was your... But that's what I thought I was going to do. And then I made a kind of practical decision that Mm -hmm. I... that that wasn't the best Mm -hmm. career choice Mm -hmm. from a kind of economic Mm -hmm. point of view. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I got the push into architecture, because I think there was a lot of recognition um, that it was important to me to try and work mm-hmm. in a world uh, with visual media. It's a very creative world. Do yeah. you still paint? I do, but not as much as I would like. I, draw, I would say I draw more than I paint now, because it's for just pleasure. easier. Yeah, for pleasure. Oh, yeah. That's great. But you have to incorporate some of that into your... Yeah. Work, I yeah. assume, as well. It's Absolutely. not forgotten. No, no, it's necessary. I mean, I think that we're constantly, uh, a lot of the work that we do uh, at Retail Brand is for arts organizations. Oh, and really? So we do a lot of a lot of work with museums. Uh, you know, and uh, even when we're working on gardens, many of the gardens that we work on, there's a very serious part of working with either artists or with art collections yeah, and yeah. art collectors. Well, their sensitivity to aesthetic matches your sensitivity and background yeah. to aesthetic, right? You yeah. can't, Absolutely. if you can see eye to eye in that regard, that probably makes those projects go more smoothly. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll shift into projects, but it's great to start with, you know, if you're thinking about, you've been here for how long? So, uh, we, in New Haven for two years. Uh, the, yes, the practice has been going in New Haven for about two years. I have lived part-time in New Haven mm-hmm. for just under 15 years. Wow. So. so then in your career as a landscape architect, what's a project that stands out as being your proudest project? So the proudest project for me is a project that I'm still working on, the um, big grand opening. Actually, two for this project. One was in 2008, and then in 2014, there was another one. And it's the Clark Art Institute in Williamstown. Okay. And we were uh, working there with the director, Michael Conforti, and then this extraordinary team uh, that included Gensler as architect of record, Annabelle Saldorf and her team uh, as one of the architects, and Leo Ando Associates as well and that if you haven't been there I urge everybody to go love it Uh, but it's a 140 acre site and it's a museum that was originally a small museum located in Williams um, by Francine and Sterling Clark because they were worried about uh, gifting their collection to an urban location because of Cold War issues related to trying to protect it from bombing. Sure, that was the time. That, that was the time. So they really were looking for a remote location and pretty confident that Sterling went to Williams and so he had a really deep connection with the land there. And uh, I think they felt that it would be well stewarded by that mm. community, but it would also be, prote- it would be safe, literally physically safe from harm mm. there. 
And so uh, they built a small museum to house that in the 50s. And then the collection, and, and then I guess shortly thereafter, they died. And they didn't encumber their collection with very many constraints. And so it's been an amazing laboratory for art historical mm -hmm. or art historians. Uh, and if you meet people in the museum world, many people have gone through for a fellowship or they've done their graduate work there. Uh, it's the only, I think, master's program, graduate degree program that Williams has is in art history. Huh. And it's, a, it's joined I didn't know with that with the Clark. And so it's, it's a kind of extraordinary combination of having an amazing collection that is particularly strong in Impressionist works, many of which are about pastoral landscapes. You can look out the gallery windows oh, yeah, and you and see the ponds and the meadows and, and so the creative, cows. But the creative release then translates into the Muir work mm -hmm. as well. Then. There's no Victorian mandate right. or, but does that make your work so what makes this the proudest project then? Well, so the, the thing that is always fun is if you have really strong existing conditions, like the landscape itself has some power, mm -hmm. right? So they have um, this place called Stonehill Meadow, and it's the site there is surrounded om almost in a panoramic way with mountains. There's the Green Mountains, there's the Taconics, um, Mount Greylock, which is the tallest mountain in Massachusetts, is right there. And so the views are powerful to begin with. The site is in a little bit of a bowl. Mm -hmm. And there are all these streams running through it. It's right at the edge of Williamstown proper. Mm -hmm. So it has a kind of village feel on one side. And then there was, there's this extraordinary collection and a really ambitious uh, community. The leadership there is just extraordinarily ambitious. And so they had huge clarity about wanting to do something there that you wouldn't find anywhere else in the world. Mm. And so when you're asked to kind of dis distill what's particular about a place and try to express that, make it more accessible to people, uh, it's always a great problem. You're trying to make it more that place. More that place, right. M more and more and more, yeah, concentrated and also in some ways attenuated, right? So. Uh, one of the things that we spend a lot of time thinking about, spend a lot of time thinking about geography and topography and how water works, which I think I mentioned before, but we spend a huge amount about uh, thinking about how circulation is the thread or the circuitry that brings people together, mm -hmm. allows access to different experiences. And so how that the, the museum used to just face the street and it turned its back on the hills and the meadows mm -hmm. and the woods. And the simple idea of the project, which is basically a 15 year long project that is just finishing right now, uh, was to turn the museum, to keep the mm -hmm. street frontage and not change that history, but to turn the main part of the experience back toward nature. And so today Ando uh, came up with a phrase that I think many people have come up with before as the tagline for the project, uh, which was art in nature. Mm -hmm. And I think it's been extraordinary. So we, we did yeah, all How is that trails. accomplished? Yeah, that, yeah that's so a really did. interesting <laughs> premise, like, because you're, you're metaphysically turning the mm -hmm. building around. So it used to be that you parked behind and the parking lot 
was between, acted essentially as a dam. And then they had, because of the engineering requirements for the parking lot, they had had to build this giant ditch. So you were literally cut off physically from the surroundings. And then there was this giant slab of asphalt. And so people were really oriented toward the buildings. Mm -hmm. And there was one moment in the galleries where you could look out and look at this old lily pond, which just looks like it's out of Manege Verne. It's amazing. and I think in some ways you could argue that was the inspiration, right? There was this one moment that was so successful that offered a promise of what we could mm-hmm. achieve. But so the simple move was basically to, as I said, just reframe the whole experience mm-hmm. toward the 140 acres instead of toward the few acres along right. the street. Wow. And to uh, take advantage of that basin that the museum sits in already and to replace the parking lot with a set of pools. And so there are reflect there's a large one acre reflecting mm. pool there. And that's be- a large that's a large Yeah, pool. it's very large. <laughs> uh, and that has become so I think the other reason why it's a really uh, favored project or proud project for us is that the heart or one of one of the people I'm very fond of who came to visit said, well the landscape is the protagonist of this project. It, so the collection is really important without question, but when you come as a visitor, you pass along this big wall and you go through the glass doors and then you come out. And the museum itself almost functions like a garden gate, mm-hmm. a very thickened garden wall. And you're on this terrace looking out at these very carefully constructed clearly designed, they're not natural, pools that reflect all the surroundings and create a really centralizing experience. And they quiet people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very calming environment. Uh, so people make, oh, it's almost like it's become a site of pilgrimage. Once people yeah. go, they want to keep of going. Of course, of and course. So but I mean, that's that, true like, that makes you so proud, right? Yeah. If you get to work on a project yeah. like that. So yeah. the team is extraordinary people at the Clark are all extraordinary. Well, it has amazing permanence, just like you described, too. And it has a symbolic place. I mean, that is a region that has, like many, but that has really suffered as the mills have closed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so how you start to try and reinvigorate the economy. And I think Masmoka has been doing a great job, Mm -hmm. and they're right next to each other. So um, this kind of new what do you say, Mecca for the arts, yeah. right in that northwestern corner of Massachusetts. We're part of that yeah. by getting to work on this project. Absolutely. And the last thing I guess I should say is that we did, I've always been really interested in green infrastructure and how, uh, as landscape architects, we can achieve something of great beauty that also performs at the highest, most environmentally right. successful level. And that was a project where we actually used these pools to do a huge amount of work, engineering work for the Mm. institution. And so we worked closely with the civil engineer, the mechanical engineer, the electrical engineer um, to make all the systems be as sustainable as Mm -hmm. possible. And so it's also sort of nice to give a a beautiful icon that can be the face of that because so often you hear about all of the systems work but you don't there's nothing you can go and look at and see aha 
this is this is how this comes it's to manifest be. In, yeah, it's in manifest in a way you right. can see you can see and you yeah. can almost touch yeah and you can appreciate right and so the, there are no uh, chemicals as part of mm-hmm. the pools and so there are lots of frogs and we actually the water that does run off into the wetlands uh, increases the quality of water right. for for habitat and so that's well, all see, super and I fun guess, so funny but like I guess in my head conceptually even yeah. though you didn't say it specifically yeah I wasn't imagining that it wasn't that way, right? Yeah. And so, <laughs> so exactly as you, yeah, like it, it, I imagined frogs and lily pads and, and not like a, a stone wall or a, or a chlorinated swimming pool. Like I yeah. imagined it fitting in correctly in my brain, never yeah. having been there, promise. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> that's good because <laughs> that's what we're trying to do. But it's strangely hard to do. That smell of chlorine, you know, which is all over the place for your water. Yeah. It's important for human safety um, and it's hard to make it work without chlorine, mm-hmm. but we worked hard with yeah. the Clark and the local, yeah. re- I mean, that they have a very progressive set of regulations mm-hmm. in Massachusetts and specifically in Williamstown. So. Is there a dream project that you could comfortably describe? Um, um, that's an interesting question. There don't have to be any confines on uh, this well, question. Well, so one of the things that we're really excited, I'm not sure it may I think there there are some dream projects, but I hesitate to <laughs> voice them That's uh, on the radio. That's true. Many creative people. So, uh, I will say that we are just starting to work with the city on the Mill River um, framework plan, and the city of New Haven. The city of New Haven. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I think, in some ways, for us, we really like being in this city with this great structure with these excellent parks with a waterfront that could become much more than it already is uh, and the Mill River which connects East Rock uh, and you know Whitneyville basically to the harbor is not you, you can't follow it right now one of the I think negative things about the development over time of New Haven as a city is that so much transportation infrastructure has happened all over the country, but so much transportation infrastructure went up along the wetlands mm-hmm. and the river quarters. And so we have this funny situation in New Haven, which is super diverse uh, and has many really excellent neighborhoods that have clear identities, but it's very hard to get from one neighborhood to another. And so we see this project uh, of the Mill River as being a powerful project in terms of starting to demonstrate how if you work with the geography and with the rivers. And with the highways? And with the highways, absolutely, yeah. With, right, with the transportation quarters and needs, you can sort of stitch different people back together. So it's not just an environmental project, it's also a really a kind of ur- urban project. Right, absolutely. it's absolutely at that intersection yeah. between some vital neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then how, do, how does that become art, right? And it's fun, I mean, we, we share space here in uh, our office with uh, site projects, and they're very interested in art and how that affects change, but they're also really interested in the opportunity of the Mill River. And then we also share space with Elm Street Ventures and Rob, they're just 
captained a dragon boat as part of a fundraiser for the canal dock boathouse and he recruited many of us and so we all got together and we actually won it was like super Bravo. exciting um dragon yeah. boat racing is very fun it was super fun but that you know that boat is basically right where that new boathouse is going to be just past where the mill river actually enters the harbor so it seems exciting to us to be able to partner with so many different people yeah, so right, a, right here in right your here, office, but right, also right, right here. here. But I feel like that's part of at least Haven. our generation. You know, it's the, so much of great design work is very particular to place. And so for us to get to work on projects like that mm -hmm. here is extremely exciting. So in, in that way, yeah. it maybe sounds like well, a modest dream, but it's no. a very And there's a mix, I, I think there's a mix in New Haven of, of architecture firms, wherein mm -hmm. that's what you are, yeah. that do work in New Haven, and those yeah. who don't, right? Yeah. I mean, we're a hotbed yes. for architecture offices, not necessarily, and for architecture, but those mm -hmm. firms don't necessarily work here. So I think yeah. that's it's yeah. noble and, and <laughs> exciting and future-putting that, that you're involved in that project, yeah. too. That's great. great. So then, so you were a part-time New Havener for a long time. I was, yes. So what, how does, how do you, you sort of touched on it, but, you know, just in a, in a general sense, what visually excites you about New Haven? What's the visual inspiration that you get here? Are there galleries you love? Are there places yeah. that you um, you go to get recharged? You, you live a create, you, you actually... If you were a painter, mm -hmm. <laughs> you mm -hmm. may have, um, you know, you might seek inspiration more internally, but you really work a, you know, professional creative career that requires some constant re-energizing. Absolutely. And how does New Haven play into that, if at all? Well, no, it does. It really does. There are a couple ways. Um, one, I'm diehard tree lover, mm -hmm. I think, and I... Uh, so we live on Worcester Square, and Worcester Square in and of itself is an inspiration to me. I think in many ways it's a kind of perfect park. Uh, and so getting to literally have that be something I interact with many times a day yeah. is constantly inspiring and restorative. Uh, the skies in New Haven are really important to oh, me, wow. I think, because of where we are on the sound and at the end of the Connecticut River Valley, the sort of lowland that cuts Connecticut into two. Mm -hmm. I think we have extraordinary light here. And so the cloud formations wow. and the way the light operates is really important to me. I love That's how much- That's a sense of topography that yeah, <laughs> I don't have. <laughs> um, I think we also have great bird life here. Yeah. And so I'm definitely, I spend a lot of time looking up I look at my feet a lot, and then I look up a lot. Uh, and there, New Haven, you maybe already know this, maybe you don't, but New Haven had the first, I guess, you know, official street uh, planting program, urban street oh. tree planting. Did and not. so um, there's a reason I, it's Elm City. Right. Uh, it's always had, or for much of its time as a city, it's been... I would say ahead of most cities in terms of thinking about its own expression mm -hmm. and understanding itself as a kind of symbolic place mm -hmm. and trying to 
take mm -hmm. actions to make it a kind of charismatic city that people want to come to. And I am very interested in the way that the grid, the nine square grid operates. You know, if you look at the original plans, you see that it basically is this perfect square that was squeezed between two river right. tributaries, right. touching uh, the harbor and oriented towards East Rock and West Rock in other ways. And that sensitivity, right, that sort of abstraction of planning and design with incredible sensitivity to topography and water is so powerful. Yeah. That was the original intent. That's the I intent, mean, that's right. So and so you can't redesign there's nothing that. cooler than that. Right? <laughs> and um, that's inspiring and trying to see how it's still operating and still legible and then where does it fall apart and why is it not working, where it's not working. These are questions that I'm constantly chewing over as I walk around. I think the fact that this is such a walkable and bikeable city is also inspiring. Um, pretty much everyone in our office either walks to work or rides to work most of the year, if not all of the year. And I think that you get a, a kind of intimacy with your environment mm -hmm. if you get to live in a place like that. It's just the right speed. Yeah, yeah. So that's also, but the trees, I mean, I just love the street trees of New Haven. The elms on the green, the varied species in Worcester Square. Yeah, they never, they're, they're, they're part of it. They've always mm -hmm. been, and you're right, it was from the beginning. I mean, I never think about the height of those trees, but you, I always notice when a new, very small sapling is installed somewhere. Oh, I know, we have somewhere. them right out here. They're so cute, but they're smaller than me. Yeah. <laughs> they're tiny. <laughs> because they stand out, and in other cities, it's the opposite, yeah. where, like, the, the lone remaining big tree is what yeah. stands out, right. and that's it's, what you see. It's the lonely... So if you live in Worcester Square, I can't decide if this is an appropriate question or not, You're but it's right. appropriate because of because one part of your named mm -hmm. occupation is landscape, so... Mm -hmm. Are you a super gardener? Do you have all sorts of tips on <laughs> how to keep your plants alive? Um, that's a great question. For, for those of you who have a lot of practicing architects or landscape architects in your life, you know that they tend to have to work all of the time, which doesn't <laughs> leave a lot of time for other occupations uh, or loves. Uh, but I do have some. I, do, I'm, I am a fairly ardent gardener who is sporadic in her attention to her plants and so that means that my I do have a garden and uh, it is an experimental garden in some ways and I do a lot of testing mm -hmm. uh, so you really are I, I I was ready for you to say nope I couldn't keep a plant alive if oh no I I will fight tooth and nail to keep a plant Great. alive if I can Great. Uh, so but what do you I mean you have an experimental Well, garden. because uh, I, I am very tough on my plants. And so what's great, and I, and I have used my home to try and see what happens if you don't irrigate and mm -hmm. you don't fertilize and you don't weed and you don't mow uh, and you want something to be immersive and beautiful and relatively low maintenance. And it's a combination of vegetables and herbs and flowers, I love flowers, meadow grasses, it's very small. Wow. Uh, and we've planted a, a number 
I have a five-year-old son, and we have propagated a number of trees from Worcester Square. Uh, oh, wow. That's really And there's really actually exciting. one American elm in our neighborhood that has resisted Dutch elm disease. So we have an elm that's now 12 feet tall that we planted from seed when he was tiny in, wow. our, in our yard. Uh, so, but I think by experiment, I just mean that it's not, we're very disciplined and structured in what we do in our practice, and I think in my own garden, there are a set of principles that we follow pretty rigorously, but it's much more about trying to see, you know, can this work in a project? Mm -hmm. If I do this, can I replicate it? Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest challenges in the, for design landscapes is maintenance. Mm -hmm. And so how you achieve great beauty and order with a minimum of maintenance over the long run yeah, probably no one asks you for maximum maintenance. Some people do. <laughs> I mean, almost. I mean, and you know, that's pretty easy to deliver. But ideally, you create something that has great longevity. And so, I, I so I think that it's experimental, mostly in terms of the question of maintenance and inputs. You know, how can you get something to be as self-sustaining as as possible? That's interesting. So, I mean, then, I mean. I think your tips on the landscaping side of things would be most interesting to hear about. But but knowing that you also personally do that, so I mean, practically yeah. speaking, I mean, it sounds like, you know, one thing I could take away is like, you know, you try a lot of different things and you seem very observant about what's happening in your home landscape. Yeah. and. That's a very professional, disciplined practice you bring to that. That's yeah. something that I don't know the, if anyone does at home. The one, the one analogy I would share with everybody that I make is that I think that working in your garden or working with plants is like working with children. Or, and, and that it, if you understand the plants as like your children, like or your dog or whatever, you know, they are alive and they are really sensitive mm. to their environment and what they need at one point in their life is not at all what they may need three weeks later. And so you have to be super responsive uh, and you can't stop paying attention. And if you understand that, then it's much easier to care for your garden. And I, I think it's a, it's a super reciprocal thing. So. Uh, there are times in one's life where you don't have time, and so then you need to simplify, or you need to change your approach toward to your garden. I have a, a neighbor mm -hmm. who has a saying that's so related to what you're saying. They have this beautiful, beautiful landscaped yard, perfect green grass. Um, they raised their kids, and they loved it. We have two young kids. They love to tell us, you can either tend to your grass or your kids. Yeah, or you can, or you can train your kids to tend to your garden, which I, <laughs> I try and do with my. It's a, some moderately successful, um, but kids do love. I mean, kids are interested in things that grow and change. Yeah. And if you plant things that they can pick or cut, burn, you know, there's a lot of well, things. Well, eat. I, eat. You know, right? I mean, it's a, such a creative project, but um, you know, it's also. I, I mean, it different than when my son comes home from creative arts workshop, yeah. which is great, he comes home with a huge bag of things, right? It's a whole of these projects he's made and things he's done. And, and those have, um, you know, we think of them as being permanent, mm -hmm. right? But in reality, mm -hmm. they're not. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. but, but, but gardening is inherently temporary or, exactly. or evolving, right? Yeah. So that the, 
the corn you grow this year and eat, then it it, it feeds into next year, but yeah. it's not inherently part of... There's nothing to save about that. It's an intentionally temporary gain. Yeah, but composting, I mean, I, I am a big fan of composting, and I think to the extent, right, that if you can let your yeah. seed heads stay on so that you can let the seeds fall so that then you can naturalize another, another real tip if they're plants that you love if they're plants that you don't like you should make sure to remove the seed heads <laughs> cut but the seed heads down for the things you hate yes absolutely so, that's amazing yeah, that's well tip. i guess i understand this is the, the last question i was wondering okay. which is you know i mean you had a lot of projects here and mm-hmm. and you were inclined to be here anyways but it seems like a pretty large feat to open an office in new haven um, we talked about this at the beginning, yeah. not in New York, not in, it's already in Boston, not in other yeah. places. I mean, how did that all play out? I think visual artists are lucky in, yes. because place is feeds the work, but yeah. place isn't where the work necessarily manifests itself. Mm-hmm. And you can't take that um, to a jazz pianist right. or to a Shakespearean actor because place and work have to often be in the same venue right and so I mean I know that so I think it's a more interesting question because you could have set this office up in a lot of different places yes so we have well so we have a super collaborative uh, practice so it's important that we uh, are close with our other colleagues um, close to so, Boston yeah in this case that's Boston um, so having some proximity there was critical the other the other thing is that it's we need to have great colleagues to work with and there are such great architects and engineers uh, in New Haven and so uh, there's just a real ease Mm -hmm. in terms of having a community to practice amongst or with here I mean you could be really close if you were in New York (laughs) Yeah. And you'd be with a lot of colleagues in New York, Absolutely. I'm sure, too. But, so I think a couple of other things. I mean, the in terms of being a landscape architecture practice, there aren't very many landscape architecture practices in New Haven. And uh, I think there's definitely something to be said for, you know, contributing something that isn't mm-hmm. in a market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've, I think we've been surprised at how enthusiastic the response to us being here has been. It's been very gratifying, um, but we've received a very warm welcome uh, and have gotten a lot of commissions fairly quickly, Mm -hmm. which was exciting. I think the other thing uh, is that there is a kind of quality of life that Mm -hmm. you can have in New Haven that's really hard. I mean, I think there are pockets in Brooklyn or there's some places in New York where you can have that, but that... um, if you're interested in really being an artist or a designer or you know spending most of your energy in some creative and therefore not necessarily extraordinarily remunerative way being able to live a, you know wonderful life and do the work that's mm-hmm. so meaningful to you it's hard to find places that foster both and new haven i think really is a place like that so we're we're hoping that the community of people who uh, come to New Haven and stay in New Haven who are really interested in these things that maybe are affiliated with Yale or maybe grew up here, but not necessarily, uh, that that community grows 
because I think the Yale mm -hmm. community is so vibrant, and then I think many there's so many people here who grew up here and who love it, and you know wouldn't question, would never move, and yeah. that's great, the rootedness. Uh, but I think most of most of us are imports, and we're, we're not like Yale. Imports. Yeah, and we're not Yale affiliated, and so we're we're hoping that there are other more people like us who come here. <laughs> so we're hoping that we can be, what do you call it, like a pioneer, one of the pioneer operations here that really starts to attract more and more yeah. like-minded folks. Absolutely, well, for all those stated reasons and more, um, you could be. We hope so, <laughs> yeah, we're trying. That's excellent, well, um, it was really good learning more about you. I hope that everyone's yes. inspired to go <laughs> Yes, go to the Clark. Go to the Clark, get creative in their own yard yeah. for what it's worth. It sounds like, um, you know, landscape architecture is as creative as it's I could have creative. expected. Yeah, it's pretty creative. So, well, thanks for spending time today, Becca, on this. And we'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another Art Beat. And my thanks to Lucy for getting this all put together. And thanks to you as well. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a joy. Take care. <laughs>